0: You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to NeuroFrontiers, produced in cooperation with the American Academy of Neurology. Your host is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Fourteen million Americans suffer migraine headaches every day. Many go untreated, and many of those who are treated still continue to have headaches. There now may be a new way to treat migraines. The FDA has recently approved botulinum toxin for severe chronic migraines. Dr. David Simpson, Professor of Neurology at Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City and Director of the Clinical Neurophysiology Lab at Mount Sinai Hospital, joins me to discuss the latest treatment on neurofrontiers. Dr. Simpson, welcome to ReachMD.
1: Thank you very much, Tony.
0: David, can you explain for our listeners the mechanism of how botulinum toxin works for headaches?
1: Botulinum toxin is probably the most potent toxin known in nature, and at first glance, one would wonder why is such a potent toxin that can kill an individual be used as a pharmacologic treatment. The history of botulinum toxin is quite interesting, which I won't take the time to discuss right now. But to summarize, botulinum toxin has been used therapeutically with demonstrated safety and efficacy in a wide range of disorders. These disorders span almost every specialty in medicine, including neurology, ophthalmology, gastroenterology, otolaryngology, and many more that I have not mentioned. The use of botulinum toxin in the treatment of headache has been a relatively recent advance in that the data supporting the efficacy of botulinum toxin in headache, and more specifically chronic migraine headache, has only emerged over the last few years. To respond directly to your question, what is the mechanism of action of botulinum toxin in headache? The bottom line is there is still question about what is the mechanism, but there have been numerous studies, particularly basic science studies, that have suggested a possible mechanism. Whereas in many of the motor disorders or movement disorders, such as cervical dystonia, or hemifacial spasm, or spasticity, the botulinum toxin mechanism is by essentially interrupting communication at the neuromuscular junction and paralyzing muscle, effectively weakening the abnormal spasms or limiting them. The mechanism in migraine is probably quite different. It is not due to reduction in muscle spasm. What is more likely is that it's acting on other neurotransmitters and it is limiting the release of these neurotransmitters from the presynaptic terminal that is thus limiting the pain. These neurotransmitters include things such as substance P or CGRP or even TRIP v one receptors, all of which are involved in the mechanism of pain. And so the bottom line is that botulinum toxin in migraine headache is working on the afferent or sensory side of the system, rather than on the motor side.
0: David, what patients qualify for the use of botulinum toxin in the situation of having severe migraines?
1: Well, the answer to that question is based on the data that were generated in the so-called phase 3 randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled pivotal trials that led to the approval of one formulation of botulinum toxin Botox, in the treatment of chronic migraine. And as far as how chronic migraine is defined, these are individuals that suffer migraine headaches for at least 15 days out of the month.
0: David, in clinical practice, how often might you use botulinum toxin to treat a patient with migraine headaches?
1: The short answer is that for all the indications of botulinum toxin, it is recommended that the frequency of injection not be more than once every three months or 12 weeks. Now, that's not to say that in some patients the efficacy of treatment may last longer than three months. However, because of several considerations, particularly relating to immunogenicity, that is the risk of antibody formation to botulinum toxin, and potentially safety, The labeled frequency is 12 weeks for all of the indications.
0: David, what type of adverse reactions may we see in patients with the use of botulinum toxin?
1: In general, there are three types of adverse reactions that are most commonly reported directly due to the botulinum toxin's effect on muscle and neighboring tissues. The first is attributable directly to the action of botulinum toxin on the muscle into which it's injected. So, for example, if you are injecting into a patient with migraine and you get excess weakness of one of the muscles in which it's injected, then that is called a local side effect. A very analogous side effect is diffusion of botulinum toxin into neighboring muscles. So, for example, if one is injecting a patient with migraine between the eyebrows the so-called procerus or above the eyebrows the corrugator muscles one can get diffusion of botulinum toxin to the upper eyelid the levator palpebrae muscle sits in the upper eyelid and helps us to maintain the eyes open the diffusion of botulinum toxin into that muscle would cause drooping of the eyelid called ptosis fortunately those are reversible in a relatively short period, usually over days to weeks. Now, the third and most serious side effect related to botulinum toxin use is what's called systemic spread. These are situations where botulinum toxin is taken up into the vascular supply and distributed systemically. In relatively few cases, including children with cerebral palsy and spasticity, this systemic spread, particularly with high-dose usage, has led to weakness in muscles remote from the injected muscle, potentially respiratory difficulty due to involvement of the diaphragm and intercostal muscles, and in very few cases, death.
0: Dr. Simpson, I'd like to continue with this, but if you're just tuning in, you're listening to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessing, and joining us to discuss FDA approval of botulinum toxin in the treatment of severe migraines is Dr. David Simpson. Dr. Simpson is a professor of neurology at Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City and director of the Clinical Neurophysiology Lab at Mount Sinai Hospital. David, for our listeners, are there any medications where you must exercise some level of caution before using botulinum toxin?
1: There are, and those medications fall into two categories. One would be medications that interfere with neuromuscular junction transmission. In fact, that is how botulinum toxin works, is by interfering with transmission at the neuromuscular junction. And so there are a number of those medicines, including Aminoglycosides for various infections. And thus, one must be cautious in the use of botulinum toxin with those products and potentially avoid them altogether. The second group of medications that one needs to be cautious in using with botulinum toxin are anticoagulants or any medication affecting bleeding, including aspirin. And the risk there is that, of course, botulinum toxin is injected into muscle anything that might affect coagulation or bleeding time produces the risk of intramuscular hematoma. And so obviously, if a patient is on an anticoagulant like Coumadin or Warfarin, then one should know the INR before injecting and perhaps to have the INR as low as possible when one is injecting botulinum toxin. Thus, it is not an absolute contraindication, but it is one that one must be aware of and be cautious in use.
0: The FDA approval is based on the PREEMPT study, which was recently completed. Have there been any other trials of botulinum toxin for migraine headache?
1: Well, the primary pivotal studies for which botulinum toxin has been done are the so-called PREEMPT studies. Certainly, there were several studies that appeared before the PREEMPT studies, And those were smaller in that they had far less numbers of patients and they showed mixed results. Some were positive, some were negative, some were positive on secondary outcomes but negative on primary outcomes. Some of these studies did not show a clear dose response. So there was some controversy and confusion about the efficacy of botulinum toxin in the treatment of migraine headache. And the preempt studies, in some sense, have helped to provide more data to clarify that confusion. As you probably know, there were two large phase three randomized double blind placebo controlled studies using Botox in the treatment of chronic migraine. And these so called preempt studies led to FDA approval of Botox in the treatment of chronic migraine.
0: David, the preempt studies were industry-sponsored trials. Is there reason for concern based on the fact that these were industry-sponsored?
1: Well, as most of our listeners probably know well, there's a lot of attention being paid to this very issue and related issues, and it all surrounds the question of bias, whether it be in the reporting of research studies, in the clinic, or in the promotion and marketing of drugs. And... The pharmaceutical industry has been under tremendous scrutiny on all of those activities because of the vested interest and the potential for bias. There certainly is a school of thought promoted by some that any trial sponsored by industry is by definition biased just because industry has a vested interest. My response to that is that that is a fairly simplistic and perhaps even unrealistic approach for a number of reasons. Firstly, most practically speaking, if industry were not sponsoring these hugely expensive, very large, phase three, placebo-controlled studies, it is not clear who would fund them because, frankly, there's not those monies available from other sources in general, and thus, many of these studies would never be performed, and we would be deprived of many of the effective medications that we have in our arsenal today. Secondly, it is much more than industry involved in looking at the data generated in these large phase three studies. Particularly when one looks at the PREEMP studies, these data were submitted to the FDA, were scrutinized by the FDA. And analyses were performed independently by the FDA, which led to the approval of the medications for chronic migraine, that is Botox. Finally, when these data are presented for peer review, for publication in an academic journal, the peer review process involves independent experts looking at the data, the methodology, and the results, and the interpretation of the results, before these papers will be accepted. And so my belief is that there are several levels of scrutiny that provide a fair bit of credibility for studies sponsored by industry in particularly phase three trials.
0: David, if you could take out your crystal ball, how do you think botulinum toxin will be used in the future?
1: That truly needs a crystal ball. And perhaps my first answer to that question would be, if you asked me 15 years ago what the state of the use of botulinum toxin today would be, there is no way that I could have predicted all of the indications for which it's being used today, including chronic migraine. Going forward, I am absolutely certain that this field is going to continue to evolve in dramatic ways. Firstly, there are now four different formulations of botulinum toxin available in both the U.S. and European markets with some different characteristics that might provide more opportunities. Secondly, there are many indications for botulinum toxin that have not either reached their fruition and are still in development, have not yet been FDA approved because the data is not yet fully evaluated by the FDA, And there are indications that people have not even thought of this yet that are certainly going to emerge in years to come. In fact, even the use of botulinum toxin in migraine was arrived by serendipity.
0: I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. David Simpson, professor of neurology at Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City and director of the Clinical Neurophysiology Lab at Mount Sinai Hospital. Dr. Simpson, thanks again for being our guest today
1: on NeuroFrontiers. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: You've been listening to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. NeuroFrontiers is produced in cooperation with the American Academy of Neurology. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.